three weeks away. Uh, we, uh, it was more of a staycation. We spent time kind of working around our house. I actually ended up digging uh, two French drains and uh, a septic line for my daughter's trailer who we're putting in the back of our property for a year or so. And so uh, my back hurts. It's awesome. But my lawn will be dry this year. No, we had a great time. I actually went to Arizona for four days with my brother to help my mom move. So we got to uh, fly over there, and then he and I drove back in a U-Haul together, ran out of gas in Nevada. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> it's true. Nevada is one long, desolate place. I, mean, I don't know. There's not much there. I'll tell you this. But, but Trust me. But we had a lot of fun. And I would just say this to you all. Thank you so much for all that you served and did. Some of you are new here. My name is Lance. I actually work here. It's good to have you here. Uh, two things. Welcome home. It's good to have you here and be a part of what's going on. And our church is growing. It's a lot of fun. And so we're excited to see what God's, what God's up to. You good? Can you say thank you, by the way, for all the stuff that our staff did, the preaching? Amazing stuff. Can we just say thank you for all that they did? Amazing. There is one little detail that I want to clear up. You need to know. Last week, Pastor John... He's our children's pastor. I mean, you guys know him? So, so I, I got to listen to all three of their sermons. And by the way, it's kind of fun. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, today's the first day we're actually live streaming online. So I can say hi to my kids. Say, it's good to see you. So uh, I can tell you this, that uh, last week, uh, John came up here and preached. And he said that, that uh, if you've seen John, uh, you, you, wouldn't, you may not have thought it was him. You might have thought it was me. Uh, he's one large dude like me. And... Uh, Two large, handsome dudes on the same team is awesome. Anyway, so he came up, and some, the one time I was preaching, and, and after church, somebody walked up to him and said, dude, great sermon today. And he, he, all he said was, thank you. <laughs> so last week, he got up here, and he said, hey, some people mistake Lance and I as brothers, but the truth is, he's really more like a father to me. So I would have to say this. I would be honored to be a father of somebody like John. I would be honored because he's an amazing man, but he's a mere child to me. <laughs> yeah, I've been working on that. I love it. Hey, listen, we are in the middle. We're actually finishing up a series called Remember. Remember. It's amazing to me. I've had more and more pastors talk to me about this Remember series. Oftentimes, churches, in fact, I could probably ask most of you, if you've been involved in church world at all, there's usually a summer series that pastors go through. could be a book. It could be some sort of another series they go through. But I've chosen in ministry to do something different. How many of you remember in high school or college or some other course that you've taken that there's usually a final exam at the end of the course? You know that, right? And see, in church world, what we usually do is we just keep on adding more information. Every week we say, turn to this and do that, and we just add more information. I'm kind of of the idea that, that there's something about our educational system that's not so bad when we actually go and review what we've been learning. You heard Jennifer come up here a minute ago and talk to you about our theme, Your Move, our theme for Your Move. We launched that last fall, and we're going to be launching our new theme this next fall, which is just in a couple of weeks. But I figured it was important for us to instead of just running on to the next thing, that maybe we should slow down a little bit and, and take four weeks in the summer to remember where we've been. 
So I hand my staff usually sermon notes and, and different ideas and say, listen, go through and review the stuff we've done and re-preach what God's placed in your heart to the church. And they did an amazing job. Well, this morning, I want to tie up the bow on our Remember series. I think it's important. So, so today, we're actually going to have a test. I'm just kidding. Can you imagine having a final exam in church? You do realize there's going to be a final one day, right, in heaven? You want to pass that one. It is pass-fail. Right? You, you can't get a C on it. Right? <laughs> C's get degrees, not in heaven. <laughs> pass. Amen? If you listen close today, you can get to all the answers. I promise. Jesus, help us. Amen. Remember, listen, back in February, we did a series entitled, entitled, I got to remember, entitled Guardrails. We talked about guardrails were the things that keep your car on the road, right? Guardrails were those things that keep you from driving off the road. Guardrails are those things that are there on the side of the road so that you'll be reminded that there's an edge, there, there's, a, there's a cliff, there's something beyond that place that you want to keep your car away from. Back in the 80s, I used to work for, uh, back, I was in high school, I, I, I used to work for a logging uh, company. We would supply their rigging for the logging. Have you ever, ever been up to a logging landing? Maybe you never have, but I was from Enumclaw, we did. And, and I, we, we made all of their, it was called wire rope, all of their main lines and chokers and all that stuff we would do. Well, every now and again, I would be required to drive a, a flatbed up to the logging landing where there'd be a really big tall tower and, and they, they, they drag all the logs up to the top of the hill and more information than you need to know. But, every, but, but in the process of going up to these logging landings, you have to know something that safety in the 80s was kind of at a minimum. In the 80s, it was kind of like, is there a road there? That's good enough. There wasn't a lot of concern for sheer drop-offs on roads, right? And I remember one time I had this big, huge spool of main, it was one inch thick, it was, an, it was ridiculously heavy, but I had a flatbed truck and I was driving way up to this logging landing and I get way up there to the tower and, and again, uh, because we were not nearly as sensitive as we are today, I get up there, I drive the truck up to the top of this landing, and this, this gruff, tough, mean-looking crane operator looks at me and says, turn that truck around, and I'll take that spool of, of wire off the back of it for you. And I get up to the top of this landing, and you have to know that there are sheer drop-offs on both sides. I drive the truck up there, and I'm thinking, I am not turning this truck around because I will drive off the side of this cliff. I'm six or 16, 17 years old. I'm scared to death. So I looked at the guy, and I said, if you want to turn around, turn it around yourself. <laughs> and, and again, not nearly as sensitive, he goes, listen, you little girl, get back in your truck. And I was like, call me what you want. And he goes, you want me to hold your purse while I turn it for you? And I said, yep. He goes, take your skirt off. And I was like, I don't care what you call me. Turn it around yourself. So <laughs> he takes the truck and turns it around, right? There were no guardrails up there. I was so terrified. I felt happy when he turned it around for me. <laughs> felt less of a man, but I could tell you we turned the trucker. <laughs> guardrails. Guardrails are there to keep you from driving yourself into, well, the cliff, <laughs> Guardrails are there to keep you from falling off the side of the road. I got this funny feeling that if we actually lived our life with healthy guardrails, then maybe we wouldn't have the regrets we live with so often today. Could you imagine if you had guardrails over your finances, 
I mean, guardrails. This is our budget. This is how much we have. This is what we're saving towards. Or guardrails in your marriage. This is what I'm responsible for. This is what you're responsible for. We're going to grow our family together. Maybe guardrails in your relationships with your friends or your other extended family. How about guardrails in your occupation? Where you have healthy boundaries and your boss says, I need this, and you can only give that, and you decide this is all of that. Could you imagine if we lived life, you know, if we lived life with more guardrails, we would probably live life with far less regret. Far too many of us live life unguarded, wide open, and we, what happens is we find ourselves with the wheels running off the side of the road on both sides, and, and eventually some of us have even run ourselves off the cliff. I've seen people, this, this guardrail series was all about really four fundamental truths that we as a four-score denomination really hang on to tightly. The guardrails I'm talking about today are reminding us of Jesus. I loved with Laura coming up here and telling us that we needed to sing the name of Jesus. Because the guardrails we're talking about are the guardrails of Jesus. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our healer. Jesus, our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, our soon and coming King. If we lived life in the guardrails of who Jesus is, we'd find ourselves much safer and probably not nearly as, well, shipwrecked. If the, I, tell you, I, I know people who have shipwrecked their faith because they had no guardrails on who Jesus really was. They listened to opinions of man. They listened to opinions of people who said, no, this is who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. I've had conversations with more than one person who, I, I remember, it was, I was younger, I was in my 20s, and I remember being a, being a part of a church that was, that, that was a real uh, prosperity doctrine kind of church, where, where in my opinion, it was the name it to God, and then claim it, and then uh, tell God, and command God, and demand Jesus, and do, and, and I remember feeling how right that must have been. God, I command you to provide for me. God, I demand that you and, and, and as I grew up in my faith, I realized how, how destructive that became. My relationship to Jesus became me being the God and him being my servant. See, if we don't have guardrails on our faith, we're prone to all kinds of things. We're prone to saying things like, well, if God really loves me, he would take care of this sickness in my life. See, without guardrails on our lives, we say things like, if, if, God, if God really uh, is, is, is loving and caring for me, then he wouldn't be sitting around waiting for me to, just, to, to judge me at every level and squish me with his thumb. If we have guardrails in our life, we'll begin to see Jesus for who he really is, as the loving, caring, merciful God. And not our little buddy. See, if we find out who Jesus is, we'll find ourselves in a place of really understanding who he is. Amen. The problem is that so many of us don't have guardrails, and we live by our emotions. Man, if I hear it once a week, I'll hear it a hundred times of people telling me, well, I'll tell you what, if, if, you know, God will bless me if I just do a bunch of cartwheels for him. I'll start giving to the church, and then God will have to bless me. And I think, like, where'd you read that? That God doesn't just do it because he has to. You can't just command or demand or somehow twirl enough twirls that God just has to have his arm behind his back saying, all right, all right, I'll give you what you want. Or turn Jesus into some sort of a genie in a bottle that we can just rub and say, come on, three wishes, grant them for me. We laugh, but the truth is, <laughs> minus guardrails on our relationship to Jesus, that's what we end up with. My fear, my friends, is that's what we have. I remember one time 
There's a pastor friend of mine who, who uh, was talking about, you know, you drive by those churches that have the sermon title on the reader board out front. One, one of the sermon titles of this guy's church he was talking about, it said this, God's not your monkey boy. I was like, that's good. Yeah, then, then there was another one. I, I, I'm going to get emails for this one, but it was kind of funny. He said there was another one at the church that said this, what in hell do you want? That'll preach. Yeah. Or get you into trouble. <laughs> I would never do that. I'm just kidding. It'd be kind of fun to see what would happen. Hmm. Guardrails. You have your Bibles open with the book of Titus. Titus. One of the smaller books in the Bible, New Testament. Titus. Titus was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul left a guy named Titus, the guy he was discipling on the island of Crete. Now, for the sake of uh, you rifling through your Bibles or flipping through your screens, I just want you to know that I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures today, and you might want to get some of the notes. And if you do, email the office at pscc.net, and you'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to forward or email you some of the notes if you want them. But there's quite a few notes here. Titus is really a book that Paul wrote to have Titus be sent as a missionary to the island of Crete. The island of Crete. These guys were people who, at some point, in fact, in the book of Acts, the Bible says that the island of Crete, remember it says in the book of Acts chapter 2 that people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We think sometimes the baptism of the Holy Spirit's point is just so you can speak in tongues. Can I tell you this? It's more than that. It's actually to be filled with power to go out to the world to share your faith. So, so get this, at the Acts chapter 2, there were people there. There's a big long list of people who were there in Acts chapter 2. One of them were people from Crete. People from Crete went back to Crete, shared their faith, and the whole island finds Jesus. The actual island of Crete was known as the, the island of 100 churches. I mean, it was, wasn't a huge island, but there was a lot of churches there. Now get this, after they came to know the Lord, eventually they began to fall away from their walk with God. Paul, the apostle, sends Titus there to help the church get back on its feet, to help the church get, be reminded again of their faith they once knew. In fact, here's the interesting thing. The people on the island of Crete um, went to church. They went to church faithfully. But in a lot of ways, they had an appearance of godliness, but they were denying the power of God. They, they would come to church and raise their hands and sing the songs. But they would walk out the doors and forget what it was that they learned. They would come to, to church and they would serve and, and they, were, they, were, they were anticipating God to give them something back because they gave something as if God was required to, to fulfill some sort of a mandate. They, they began to view church as some sort of thing for, for them, that, that they were to get something out of the deal and if they didn't, then somehow God wasn't good. Aren't you glad that there's not a letter written to the church of Tacoma describing our walk with God for all eternity to read? This was the island of Crete. These people were people just like you and me. These people were people who, who had a, a sensitivity to the move of the Holy Spirit at one point. And then it's something happened that caused them to, to get knocked off course. Something happened in their faith where the guardrails were down and they drove their lives off the cliff. You see, I think that happens for you and me. I think in a lot of ways, many of us come to know Jesus and we come to know the power of the Holy Spirit being inspired and filled and, and encouraged and empowered and, and then something happens. And we find ourselves removing the guardrails and oftentimes running our lives off of some sort of a spiritual cliff. 
I think the same thing happened in the island of Crete. Paul writes this book to tell them, here's how to get back on board. You know what I think happened? I think they lost sight of Jesus. I think they lost sight of who Jesus was. They lost sight of that Jesus was their healer. Jesus was their savior. Jesus was their baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus was their soon and coming king. They lost sight of who Jesus was. And as a result of losing sight of who Jesus is, they began to make up their own methods. They began to make up their own doctrine. They began to make up their own, well, their own conclusions. That's what the Bible says, right? Without vision, people perish. We know that passage of Scripture. It's actually translated better this way. Without a clear understanding of where you're going, you're going to make stuff up. And that's what happened on the island of Crete because they lost sight of who Jesus was. Titus chapter 1, verse 1 says this. This is a letter from Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to bring faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them the confidence of an eternal life, which God promised to them before the world began, and he cannot lie. And now at the right time, he has revealed this good news. We announce it to everyone, and it is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted to this work. This letter was written to Titus, my true son in the faith, that we share. May God, the Father of Jesus Christ, our Savior, give you grace and peace. Sounds so formal. It sounds so from, from a, a spiritual father to a spiritual son. You know why Paul was writing such a formal letter to the, to, to the, the, the people of Crete? Was literally he was saying, I, I want you to know how serious this is. He could have just said this, Church of Crete, you've lost your minds. Listen to Titus. Instead, he said, listen, I am a slave of God. Man, if you know anything about God, if you know anything about Paul, he, he was a learned man. He was probably one of the smartest humans that ever walked the planet. There's something about him that was remarkable. And he, he, he humbles himself to the point of saying, listen, I'm sending Titus there to help you guys get this thing figured out. Go down to verse 15 of chapter 1. This is where Paul gets a little, a little serious here. He says this. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and their consciences are defiled. Such people claim to know God but they deny him by the way that they live. They are despicable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Could you imagine having that as an epitaph at your funeral? Such people claim to know God, but they, but, but they deny him by the way that they live. They claim to know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. Do you realize that Paul's writing this to people inside the church? He's writing this to, to Christians. He's writing this to us. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. This really is written to us. Do you find yourself with your hands raised at church, praying out, maybe singing out in the Spirit, whatever it is that causes you to do what you do, and you, you find this moment of an emotional relationship with God, but when the rubber meets the road, somehow God is the furthest thing from the solution of your problem. You claim to know God, but you deny him by the way that we live. This is what was going on on the island of Crete. And Titus gets there, and he's now helping them realize the real problem was is they lost sight of who Jesus was. Titus's job now is to bring them back to who Jesus is, to help them rediscover what happened, to help, them remind, to, to, to help remind them of the, the soft, supple nature of a walk with God. 
How about you? How's that with you? You remember those, those moments in life when you would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on some sort of a sin issue? You remember that? And you, were, and you were just as quick to stop and say, I'm not doing that. I'm changing the channel. I'm clicking off that. I will give here. I will do this, whatever. I will serve. I will. And you didn't, you didn't rationalize or justify your reasons for, for or not doing something as some sort of a spiritual, I don't know, passage. But you said to yourself, I'm just a Christian and therefore I will. Remember those moments in your life? You might have just, maybe you've just compartmentalized that to being youthful and zealous. Or maybe that's what genuine faith really looks like. Maybe this sold out, I'm everything for God, he can never do whatever he wants with me. Maybe that's really the genuine article of what faith really looks like. And somehow we rationalize ourselves into some sort of a, of a soft, spineless shell of a human Christian. Maybe that's too harsh. Or maybe that's not harsh enough. Maybe we've lost sight of Jesus Maybe we've lost sight that he is the savior of the world, that he is the soon and coming king, and that there really is going to be a day when we stand before him, and that there really is going to be a moment when he says heaven or hell is at stake. Maybe we've lost sight of that Jesus is our savior or our healer or our soon and coming king or our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've lost sight of Jesus. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never really known him. I grew up in a church when I was younger, and I heard all about Jesus, but I didn't really know him. I heard all about him. I thought I knew him, but really I just knew of him. When I finally knew him and I gave my life over to him, things began to change. Hmm. So who is Jesus anyway? Hmm. Jesus, who is Jesus? I think if we don't have a clear view of Jesus, everything in life gets a little blurry. I think if we can't see Jesus, that we'll never really see what it is that he did on the cross. If we can't see Jesus for who he is and what he's done, then we'll never really understand the incarnation. We'll never really understand the the transformation that he did for us. If we lose sight of who Jesus is, then we just start making stuff up. And we just start saying stuff about God. Well, if God loves me, well, this is what God would say. God helps those that helps themselves. We start making stuff up. By the way, that's not a scripture. That's not in the Bible. Somehow, I was quoted that all the time when I was a kid. Get up there. God helps those that help themselves. I'm like, no, he doesn't. God helps those that helps others. Sorry. Passion. It's been a long time since I've preached it. Listen to this. Who is Jesus? Let me give you a couple things about Jesus. Jesus, first of all, Jesus is the Son of God. You realize that? Again, I'm going to throw a bunch of scriptures at you. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. A voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Jesus is the Son of God. Can you say amen? amen. Listen to this. Who is Jesus? Jesus was fully human. Everyone say fully human. Do you really believe that? Do you realize that Jesus was fully man? He was fully man, and he was fully God. We'll get to that in a minute. But do you realize that if you don't see Jesus for who he was as fully human, then you miss out on his ability to pay the penalty for your sin. You see, the law, you know what the law is, right? We, kinda, we don't have a really good understanding of the law because one, we're not, most of us aren't Jewish, and we don't live under the understanding of law. But, but then the other side of it is, is that we kind of think, well, no, we're under grace. We're no longer under law. And somehow we, we've missed. 
You do realize that we're all still under law. The grace is because Jesus paid the penalty to make up for the difference of which you can't pull off. But I'll give you an example. The law, the law of God is gravity. Gravity. Gravity is a law of God. Do you realize that? I'll tell you what, the count of three, I want all of you to break the law of gravity. I want you to break it. We're all going to jump up and hover. Ready? One, two, three. None of you are breaking the law. You can't break the law of gravity. Right? Now, now, now Jesus can, right? Inspired by the Holy... God can do anything. God, could, God can do anything. Jesus was fully human, and he, as a human, had to be subject to the law. He had to be. If he wasn't subject to the law, then he could never have paid the penalty for our sin as a human being. He needed to be a perfect human being. Why? Because y'all are human beings, as they say in Tennessee. Right? We have to have it paid for by a perfect human. I don't know if you realize that. I've had people talk to me and say, well, he was a good man. Or, or he was only God, not human. Jesus had to be human. Listen, let's go on this. Fully human. Galatians 4, 4 says this. But at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. We were subject to the law. The, the law. You know, you know, there's other laws that we're all subject to as well, right? You don't know this, but you could be a Christian or not Christian and still be subject to the law of gravity, correct? You know what else everyone's subject to? All the rest of God's laws. <laughs> for example... The Bible says, owe no man anything except for the debt of unfailing love. Translation, don't go into debt or it won't go well for you. You realize that you don't have to be a Christian or non-Christian. For instance, Costco. I worked for Costco for 11 years. You realize that when they, they used to, I don't do it anymore, but they used to buy all of their land cash. They would buy land cash, buy building cash, do everything else. They'd buy it all in cash, pay for it, build it, everything else. They lived early on. I don't know if they do it anymore. It was all a debt-free company. In the process, you know what the Costco was? Blessed. You know when you live debt-free, you know what happens for you? Blessed. You know what your non-Christian friends who live debt-free get? Blessed. It happens. Do the math, right? It's the same way. How about a Sabbath? Do you realize the Sabbath, every six days you're supposed to work and the seventh day you're supposed to take a rest? Do you realize that's a law of God? And do you realize for you to disobey that, you get super tired, sick, you run down, you can't do it. You just, you can't. The Sabbath, the Bible says it's a command. It's a law that if we don't walk in the Sabbath and take a rest, you're walking in sin. Preach that. We're supposed to, right? That's the idea, right? And if you don't, and if you, you work, if you live, I remember reading, so I'll go quickly. Uh, I, have a, uh, I was reading this story where a guy bought two pair of shoes and he would wear his shoes every other day. He would alternate his shoes. And apparently if a pair of tennis shoes lasts you, I don't know, I'll just throw out a number, three months, that if you alternate the shoes, they'll last like eight months. I mean, they'll last like more than twice as long, both pairs of shoes, because even rubber needs a rest, I'm telling you, it, it, there's a part of rest. God wants us to take a Sabbath, full on shutting her down, stopping working, just resting. There's something about that. And if we're not, it's a law of God. It's the same thing, the, the law of God. Jesus came, submitted to the law of God as a human fu to fulfill. You realize there were over 300 prophecies that Jesus had to live out to fulfill the prophecies that he was the Messiah as a human being? In, empowered by the Holy Spirit, for sure, but he had to be able to walk that out. As a, because if he wasn't completely human, he couldn't pay for our penalty. See, we kind of get this idea of God that he should just go, he could just erase the slate. There, you're all good. 
A law, you can't just erase the slate. It's a law of God. It has to be fulfilled. So in order for Jesus to wipe away our sin, he had to pay the penalty of our sin that Adam and Eve committed. Remember that whole thing? That's why we needed Jesus to be fully man. Well, Jesus was more than just fully man. He was also fully God. Everyone say fully God. You needed him to be fully God. He had to be fully God-man. Why did he have to be fully God? Because a human can't pull it off by himself. Now, Now realize this. Jesus wasn't born with a sinful nature. The sinful nature was apparently, the way that it came through, your sin nature came through the man. So when Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, it was a divine thing, and so the the sin nature didn't come into Jesus. He was fully man, but he didn't have a sin nature. He could have chosen sin or not sin, but he chose not to. Why? To live the perfect life, to pay the penalty, the satisfied law for you and me. Is that too much? Right? It's important that you know that. Listen to this, by the way. Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If if you ever wondered if Jesus was fully God, let me tell you this, two words, Mighty God, could help you realize that. Listen to this. Matthew 1.23 says this, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. You might think that's a sweet Christmas verse, but you know what Emmanuel means? Emmanuel means God with us. It's not his name. It's not like he just gets a, it's, not, it's, it's an identity that he was the Emmanuel. And by the word, the Emmanuel, literally the the there is it, it, describing one singular. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And if that doesn't make sense to you, then you're completely normal. Because I don't get it either. All I know is it is what it is. It was a requirement that he would be fully man to live subject to the law, but fully God so he could actually fulfill it. And pay the penalty for us because he was pure. See, if we don't understand who Jesus is, then we start making stuff up. We start to say things like, well, you know, God, if you really, if God really loves me, then he would heal my sick friend or fix my, my whatever it is, or provide money for this or that, or claim that this. It, I think some of us have lost sight of Jesus. And so we just start making stuff up. We forget that bad things happen to good people because we do live in a sinful world and sinful things happen to us and we just get this idea that, well, God clearly has abandoned me. Let me tell you, the God of the universe loves you so much. See it at every football game, don't you? John three sixteen, God so loved you that he gave his son so he could pay the penalty for your sin. John 7, 3, 17, he didn't come to condemn you, he came to save you. Come on. Fully God. He was fully God. Listen to this. John chapter 1. If you ever wonder who Jesus is, read John chapter 1. It says this, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. In the beginning was the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning. God created everything through him. Wait a second. God created everything through Jesus? Yep. How is that possible? I don't know. Read Hebrews chapter 1. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Go down to verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So why can't we just let God be God and Jesus be Jesus? Why does Jesus have to be God? You know, the Bible says nowhere the word Trinity. 
It's a man-made term to try to bring some definition to this idea that Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit are all one. I don't know how it works. All I know is that Jesus had to be fully God and he needed to be fully human. And in the process of that was able to pay the penalty for our sin. At some point, at some point, I really want you to believe something. Minus Jesus in your life, we're all still subject to the requirements of the law. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you have sin in you. Who's going to pay the penalty for your sin? And if you don't have Jesus in your life and you never surrendered your life to him, here's your only answer before God. Who's going to pay the penalty for my sin? Uh, I guess me. I'm I'm better than she is. I'm way better than he was because my dad hurt me and my mom died to me and my sister, you know, I'm better than all of them. So you know what? I'm paying my own penalty. And here's what he's going to say. You can't afford it. There's only one way you can afford to have your sins removed. That's if you surrendered your life to Jesus and allowed the blood of Jesus to remove your sin. Amen. He's the only one who could do it. Can you stop and see just for a minute the love that God has for you? That's just what I think we forget is this amazing love that he has for us, that he loved us so much that he, he literally became human to fulfill, to pay the penalty for our silly mistake. We listened to the lie of the enemy in the Garden of Eden and then we became filled with crazy sin. And somehow in the middle of it, Jesus said, but I love you so much, I'm gonna help you make, I'm making a way for you. I've heard people say before, well, how could God let sin still happen in the world? How could God, if God loves us, he would do something. And my only answer to that is he did do something. He sent Jesus so that we could have salvation. And we don't have to do it all by ourselves. John 14, 9 says this, Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says this, though he was God, he did not demand or cling to his rights as God. But Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this, For in Christ, the fullness of God lives in a human body, and you are complete through your union with him. He is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. Jesus coming to earth to become man so that he could pay the penalty for our sin was this $25 word called the incarnation. Is he came incarnate. We celebrate Christmas, we have the manger scenes, and all too often we lose sight of who Jesus is. Jesus came for one big reason. You know what it is? To restore relationship with us. He actually loved us so much. He loves us so much that he says, listen, I want relationship with you, I'm gonna make an offer to you. If you want it, you can have it. Here's the great thing about God. You don't have to receive it if you don't want to. You don't. You can stay outside and pay the penalty of your own sin all by yourself. Good luck with that. That won't go well for you. I promise you. The great news is is that you're here today and that, that, that Jesus came to pay the penalty so that we could have the true great freedom and our sins paid for. Some would say amen. Amen. Jesus fulfilled all the righteous requirements. If Jesus was merely a good man, as some claim, and he had a sinful nature that was not perfect, I want you to know something. His death and resurrection would have no power to save you. 
Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. Who else is Jesus? Jesus is kind. I don't know if you realize that, but Jesus is kind. It says here in Titus chapter 3, But then God our Savior showed us his great kindness and love. Titus chapter 3 verse 7 says this, He declared us not guilty because of his great kindness. It's so important that we realize who Jesus is. It's actually so important that we remember who Jesus is. Paul's writing this and having Titus share this word to the church of Crete because they were Christians who lost sight of Jesus. My friends, I just want to remind you today that maybe you've lost sight of Jesus and you've turned Jesus into some sort of a slot machine or some sort of, a, of, a, of a, an idea that if you give him enough, he's required to give you back. As if some sort of, there's this scale that's tipped in heaven. If I do a bunch of good things and God's required to do good things for me. We, we've lost sight of Jesus and we turned it into our own definition. What would happen if we went back to who Jesus is? That Jesus is actually good. See, some of us actually think God is not good. We may never say it out of our mouth, but we live like that. God's not good. God allowed this. God's not good. God made that. God's not good. God did this. And somehow, and we throw it out. I mean, it doesn't take long to turn on the TV to see somebody blaming God for something. God's so good, then why do you let that flood happen, that earthquake happen, that shooting happen, that whatever? If God's so good. Let me tell you this. We live in a world filled with sin. And he sent his son in here, and he told me to tell you so that you'll go and tell them. That's pressure. You do realize that's what you're here here for today, right? You're here because he wants you to take this good news outside and go tell the rest of the dying world that they're lost and that they can find hope and that their sins can be paid for as well. See, our American version of Christianity, we just want to be good at all by ourselves. I'm good. Are you good? Doesn't matter if you're good because I'm good. That's how we live our life. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. My neighbor probably going to hell. Oh, well. You do realize that eternity is a long time. And that hell is not like a fun place to sin. Hell is filled with eternal torment. Uh, There's a few years ago I preached on hell and I began to talk about what hell was really like in this eternal, isolated, lonely, separated darkness of eternal torment. Hell is a real place. Hell is awful. Hell, you do not want to go there. You don't want anyone to go there because hell is this eternal forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Hell is forever. Heaven forever heaven is eternal who is Jesus he's kind who is Jesus he's merciful who is Jesus he's forgiving who is Jesus he's holy who is Jesus your savior or not who is Jesus to you I love the fact that Jesus came to his disciples one day Jesus actually went with his disciples on a walk. It's interesting, as a crow flies, if you can just watch my hands, I'll try to give you a map of the Middle East. In the Middle East, there's the, sea, there, there's, there, there's the Dead Sea down here. There's Jerusalem over here. Then as, as a crow flies, if you go up north, you've come to the Sea of Galilee that we talked about a long time ago. Then way up here, up in, the, up in this corner over here, there's a place called um, Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was the place where it would be the modern-day equivalent of uh, Las Vegas. They, they called it basically Sin City. 
pagan worship. They, they would offer children to false gods. It was horrible, horrible. Jerusalem's down here, the center of worship, where everybody was required to go three times a year to go all the way down to the Dead Sea to worship, all the way back up, three times a year to go worship God. They had to do this. And then way up here in Mount Hermon was this place, way up here, Caesarea Philippi. Jesus, the Bible says, toward the end of his whole time on earth, takes his disciples and takes a journey up to Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he stops them and he says this, who do you say that I am? And the disciples are like, ah, ah, I don't know. Peter steps up and he goes, you're the Messiah, the only son of God. Jesus said, Peter, you got it right. It doesn't say, now, now there were people in Jerusalem, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there were people at the time, they called themselves Christ's. There were other people who, who, who were false messiahs. But Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. In other words, there was no other. You are the one we've been waiting for. Jesus says, you got it right. I love what Jesus says. He says, who do they say that I am? And then he stops and says, who do you say that I am? Do you realize that you and I have the same question today? Today, I'm gonna ask you the same question Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say he is? Is he your savior? If you were to die today and stand before God, what would your answer be? I'm better than she is. They hurt me, I'm way better than he is. Or is your answer, I know who Jesus is. He's my savior. He's my healer. He's my baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's my soon coming king. Here's the good news. I'm gonna give you the answer to the test today. It's simply by you saying, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. And when the answer comes in heaven, here's what you say to Jesus. Here's what you say to God in heaven. When he says, why should I let you into my heaven? Here's the answer. Because I've surrendered my life to Jesus. August 20th, 2017. I gave my life over to him completely and I surrendered it all to him and he took away my sin and he gave me his Holy Spirit. That's the answer. Or maybe it was like me 30 some years ago when I was 18 years old and I surrendered my life to Christ. Maybe that's your story too, I don't know. But this morning, I wanna pray for you. Can we do that? God, this morning we come and we thank you for grace. Thank you that grace isn't something that makes our walk cheap and easy. But grace, grace is what we live with because we can't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law on our own. Lord, I pray that men and women today, that this would be a word that they could take into their hearts, that just for a moment they could realize how amazing you are and that you paid the penalty for my sin and theirs. This morning as you sit here, I want you to just think about yourself just for a moment. I want you to imagine that moment as you stand before God in heaven. And he says, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you into my kingdom? pray that they, everyone here, everyone in the sound of my voice, listening to us online, sitting in this room, God would just for a moment say, Jesus, it's because I gave my life over to you. And you came in and filled your Holy Spirit in my life. If that's you this morning and you've never done that, I want you to say, Jesus, I surrender all to you. I give you my life and I ask you to come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take away all my sin and save me, God. I give it all to you today. 
fill me afresh. Maybe you're here and it's been a long time and you gave your life to the Lord a long time ago and today you don't need to get re-saved, you just need to get realigned. Maybe today you say, Jesus, I rededicate my life to following you. I give it all to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.